in watching that video this week, it inspired me to look deeper into that very subject. And as you notice at the end of the video, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, you got your Bibles with you, I want you to open up to 1 Thessalonians 5, but I want to back up just a few verses to verse 15 and read 15 through 18 with you this morning. Today I want to talk to you about how to be thankful through all of this. And what a time that we need to be reminded how to be thankful through all of this. So, you have your Bibles open with you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul shares some wonderful words, but yet some very difficult words at times for us as individuals and as people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, he says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Father, as we think about Thanksgiving and what do we have to be thankful for in the year that we have had. And Lord, when we look at it from the negative side of life, we can look at so many things to grumble and to complain about. But yet, Lord, when we look at it from God's perspective, not a moment has been wasted. Not a moment has been missed. Not an opportunity has been wasted. And Lord, we want to thank you and praise you that you have allowed us to be uh, your children, to see others come to be your children this year, to know that, Father, that we have things to be thankful for. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take the words that you have shared with me this week and the challenge that you have given to my heart and that you would cause it to be the challenge that I give to these that have come to hear today how to be thankful through all of this. So Lord, we ask that you would just fill this room with your presence, with your power, with your Holy Spirit. Speak unto us, O Lord, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. As Thanksgiving approaches, our country finds itself in the midst of many, many difficult situations. Some of you may have seen your life savings evaporate during the financial chaos that this virus has caused upon our economy. Many have been affected by the sickness, even some by death, as the nation focuses on the numbers of folks that are succumbing to the virus. Many are anxious about what the future holds. Our nation is still trying to figure out who's going to be the next seated president and what states are uh, doing what things. And then we're just the national news. Not to mention the individual issues and tragedies and the personal stuff that overshadows all of our lives. Paul knew what it meant to praise the Lord in the midst of suffering. He gave up a relatively comfortable and prestigious lifestyle to become a nomadic preacher who was repeatedly persecuted, beaten, shipwrecked, and imprisoned. When he prayed to God for relief from a thorn in the flesh, 
by which he called a messenger of Satan to buffet me, God answered him this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. As the world struggles to cope with the disease and the famines of war and disasters and poverty, it is our responsibility as Christians to assure the world that God is still seated on the throne and God is still in control and that we trust that He has a plan and a purpose for all things in this world. It is our responsibility to make sure that we are living in such a way that the world can look to the church, to those who call upon the Lord, to say, we can follow their example. He has a plan to rescue all who repent of their sins and to trust Jesus as their Savior. Not only has He suffered on our behalf, but He has promised to bear our burdens. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 reminds us, Come unto me, all you that are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and the verses that we've read today, the Lord reveals His transformative power and His will for our lives in the form of three simple commands. Simple, but yet demanding. Simple, but yet demanding, but when we look at it, we realize that even though they're demanding upon our life, God has a plan and a purpose for us. And what Paul tells us is that we're to rejoice always, we're to pray without ceasing, we're to give thanks in all circumstances. Notice the writing and the way that it's written here. It is not an option for you to check to see if it fits into your personality type or into your personal schedule. It's not an invitation to consider a lifestyle of joy and prayer and gratitude. If your present approach doesn't seem to be working for you. It is not an option. However, is an explicit command from our Creator. Christians should be known for their enduring joy, their persistent prayer life, and their abiding gratitude. And least you despair. For those of us that might struggle a little here and there with these three simple but yet demanding commands. The good news is that the gospel is what God requires of us in Jesus Christ. He also supplies the power to accomplish this through Jesus Christ. The final phrase in verse 18, if you look with me again there, you'll see that the key to understanding the whole of the three simple but yet demanding commands is found in Paul's last words here. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Because it is the will of God for us and what He's done for us, a Christian should be characterized by three things. First of all, enduring joy. We as Christians should be reminded that we are to be the most joyful people on the planet. Now, I want you to understand that in that, I want you to know that we are probably the most persecuted people on the planet. However, we are to be the most joyful as well. Now, how do the two coincide? 
Look at verse 16. Paul instructs the fleeting church, the fledgling church here, the, the little church in Thessalonica to rejoice always. To rejoice is a decision or uh, that of the will whereby we choose actively to delight in something or someone. We tend to think of joy as a simple emotion over which we have no control. You're either feeling joyful today or you're not. It arrives spontaneously and it leaves just as spontaneously as it arrived. To tell someone to rejoice can seem about as genuine as hiring mourners for a funeral service. Or to paint a happy face on your face and walk around knowing that you're miserable on the inside. It seems emotionally dishonest at best. However, yet, look at what Paul tells us to do here. Two simple words. It's unmistakable command from the Lord to us as His people. Rejoice always. No exceptions. At first glance, it seems so simple. That's all we got to do. But then we slow down and we think about what Paul has just said. And we might ask the question, Paul, do you realize what you're asking? What you're saying? I mean, let's be honest, Paul. Who among us feels perpetually joyful all the time? Anybody here? No. It's a little harder when we think about it to rejoice always in our own lives. When we are doing it in our own circumstances. When we're doing it in the midst of who we are instead of who He is. The collective testimony of Scripture reveals that joy is not optional for God's people. It is a required and commanded by God over and over again. Listen as I just read a few of those commands for you. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 12, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. 1 Chronicles 16.10 let our hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Psalms 31.11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 14 says, Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart, O daughters of Jerusalem. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 reminds us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Three things seem to be clear from every one of these passages and a multitude more that are just like them. First, that God requires us all to be joyful. Let me remind you again, joy is not an emotion and we need to take it out of the emotional wheelhouse that we have placed it in. Joy, like love, is a decision. It's something that we decide to do for someone else and for ourselves. It is a decision that we must make within our own hearts. It is not that emotional option for certain personalities. Second, the joy He requires is constantly and consistently God-centered. The Lord is not an emotional junkie, pleased by mere emotions. The object of our joy matters. We are repeatedly commanded to rejoice in the Lord. 
Because it is our joy in the Lord and it is our joy by the Lord. More than anything else, that displays the true weight of His glory. That He gives us the ability to be able to be joyful. We're reminded that James tells us that every good gift that we enjoy in this world is ultimately designed to deepen our gladness in the one whom all blessings flow. The third thing that these scriptures remind us is that the joy God requires is an act of the will. It may feel spontaneous, but it is simply not passive. The fact that we are commanded to rejoice implies that it is something that we can choose or not choose to do. So does that mean that we must choose to rejoice even the darkest and most oppressive situations of our life? Maybe we might even ask, am I supposed to rejoice in 2020? Yes. Overwhelmingly, yes. We're to be rejoicing. We're to recognize that even in the midst of all of the chaos, even in the midst of all of the tragedy, even in the midst of all the heartache, we have a option to rejoice. God always, always reminds us that in the hard times as well as the good times, God is a faithful God who keeps His promises. Such promises as we find in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and who are called according to His purpose. God says, listen, it's not about just the good times. It's about all the time. And I work my will through you and you rejoice in the fact that I am actively working in your life. Here's where that little phrase at the end of verse 18 makes all the difference to us. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for, listen, you. See how specific it is that Paul reminds us that it is for you. God accomplishes will for our lives through Jesus. He brings us to himself. He fills us with his own joy. And that's why Paul says rejoice always. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So what do we do in the fact that even as Christians, even as those who have given been given the gift of relationship with God and through Jesus Christ, that have many, many days where we don't feel joyful. The whole rejoice always can sometimes feel entirely out of reach for us. And for those of you that might be listening this morning and saying, Preacher, you're, 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 you're preaching pie in the sky. It's not possible. I want you to know that this is not an exercise in discouragement. But this is a possibility in Christ Jesus. If that's you, you need to know these, these next two things. The presence of joy does not entail the absence of sorrow. Let me just say it again. The presence of joy does not entail the absence of sorrow. What does Paul say to the young church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 6.10? We are sorrowful, yet we are rejoicing. Or in 2 Corinthians 7.4, in all of our afflictions, I am overflowing with joy. So which one is it, Paul? Paul. Were you sorrowful or rejoicing? 
Were you afflicted or were you overflowing with joy? Yes. All of the above. No less than what Jesus went through when he came and walked among this earth and went to the cross for us. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9 reminds us that God has appointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus himself overflowed with joy. Yet the writer of Isaiah, Isaiah tells us in 53 verse 3, before Jesus would ever come, he reminds us that he will be a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. If Jesus was a man of sorrows, why should we think anything that follows him should feel anything different? Rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean ignoring or denying the sorrows around us. It simply means making a choice to actively delight in the Lord in the midst of the sorrows in which we experience in this life, knowing that this is not the end. This is only a journey in which I am passing through to something far greater without the tears, without the sorrow, without the heartache, without death. There will be a time when no more sorrow. Not only is the presence of joy does not entail the absence of sorrow. While we cannot make ourselves feel joyful, we can choose where we look to find joy. To rejoice in the Lord means that we choose to seek our joy in Him instead of in someone else or something else. Too many people in this world are, 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 are... Looking for joy and all the wrong things. If I can just get a better job, I'll be more joyful. If I can just get a better wife, I'll be more enjoyable. If I can just get a better husband, it'll be more enjoyable. Listen, it's not who or what. It's only Him. He is the source and the, 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 the place of our joy. We need to continue to fix our thoughts on Him and, 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 and nurture our affection for Him by reading and meditating in His Word daily where He reveals of His goodness for all to see. Even as we wait to feel the joy we know we ought to feel and long to feel, we say with King David in Psalm 63 in verses 1 and 2, O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. At this point, when David is writing Psalm 63, David is yet to experience anything that feels like joy, but he's fighting for it. You see the thing? We may not have it yet, but are we fighting to obtain it? Are we doing everything that we can through Christ Jesus to receive that joy that is to come? Think of it this way. You can't make yourself feel at all, but you can decide whether or not you look to the ground or you look up. Too many Christians got their head down instead of their head up. It's time we start looking from where our blessings fall. 
It's time that we start allowing the world to see that we're not, we're not wearied over the things of the world. We're thankful for the God who controls the world. It's time that they start seeing that we know how to be thankful. That we know how to experience joy. We cannot dis, uh, do it ourselves, but we can decide. In the same way that you cannot make yourself feel joy, you can decide whether or not to look elsewhere or to remain in the purifying stream of God's holy word as you wait for God to do what He and He alone can do. The joy God requires of all of us is in Christ Jesus. He alone supplies to us through Christ Jesus. As a Christian, our lives should be characterized by an enduring joy. Enduring the heartache, enduring the suffering, enduring the losses, enduring the, 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 the 2020s, enduring all that we have to, we say, I choose to be joyful in the Lord. And Paul, if that weren't hard enough, he doesn't stop there, but he says not only are we to have enduring joy, but we are to be persistent in prayer. In verse 17, he reminds us that as we are enduring in joy, it ought to automatically lead to a persistent prayer life. Pray without ceasing. Like the first exhortation, this little one can be easily misunderstood. Let me start with a definition about prayer. To pray is simply to talk with God. It doesn't require a hushed voice. No, God is, not, God is not concerned with how quiet we can get our voice. He's not even, he's not even impressed with how specific and, and how special we can do our vocabulary. It can be as simple as a child's prayer, help. Father, or it can be complex and specific as our greatest sorrows. As Psalms 22 verse 14 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. When Paul says pray without ceasing, he doesn't mean that all we do is to talk to God as if real Christians simply just give up all of life and sit around and just talk with God all day long. It's an example, an hyperbole, where the author uses a deliberate ex exaggeration to help us grasp the seriousness of the point in which he is trying to make. In this case, to pray without ceasing simply means these two things. Being a Christian requires a lifestyle of prayer. Did you hear the word lifestyle? It means that it's something that is built into what we do in our life. In the same way that a close relationship with a friend or a spouse requires a pattern of regular communication, so too our relationship with God requires the pattern of consistent prayer. As breathing uh, sustains life in our physical bodies, so too prayer sustains life in our souls. It's an ongoing thing, something that we continually do, a continual practice, a pouring out of all of our heart to God throughout the day and, and about all kinds of things 
in all kinds of ways. Consider what Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Praying without ceasing entails a lifestyle of prayer, bringing all of you to God throughout all of the day. It's not just the right thing to do. My friends, prayer is an incredible privilege that God gives to us and us alone, His children. The second thing that we need to be reminded of to pray without ceasing means we persist in prayer. I'm afraid that we're creating a generation of people that give up on things way too easy. We, we seem to um, try once, and if we don't succeed, we quit. I mean, I grew up with the, the adage, try, try, and try again. If you don't first succeed, get back out there and try it again. You see, the reality is that we're giving up on God, and God hasn't given up on us. We ask Him, and it seems as though that He didn't answer, He didn't give it in our timeline, so we just quit. We give up. Paul tells us that, that, that praying always means praying without uh, ceasing, means to be persistent in our prayers. At the end of the parable of the persistent widow, you remember that gal that went to the judge and said, hey, I'm not getting a fair shake here? And he said, I don't really care. And she said, but you're going to by the time I'm done with you. And she went back every day, every day. And she said, I love the, the, how Jesus said, whatever the woman wants, give it to her. I can't take it anymore. I love it. God tells us that we ought to be that persistent in our prayers. Listen, at the end of Luke 18, Jesus says, And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him both day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you that He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth or will we have all given up? I'm afraid. If we don't start doing something different in our prayer life, that not only is prayer going to become non-existent, faith is going to be absent as well. Because the two go hand in hand, my friends. The level of your prayer life will determine the depth of your faith. We need to remember that. The Apostle Paul reminds us that that we should refuse to stop praying simply because it seems like God has yet to answer our prayers. Instead, we persevere in bringing our request to Him even when we have nothing new to say. Knowing the great work of prayer is not informing God of what He does not understand or does not know, but rather continuing to let the Lord carry a burden that is too big for us. Praying without ceasing means practicing a lifestyle of persistent prayer every day, all day, throughout the day. Now remember what I said earlier, what God requires, God also supplies. That means God doesn't just require persistent prayer. He affects persistent prayer. 
He empowers us to pray through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Persistent prayer, no less than enduring joy, is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus enables this kind of prayer in these two ways. The Father hears our prayers because of Jesus. You know, we're commanded and told that as we pray, at the end of our prayer, we're to to ask anything in the name of Jesus. Now, I, I think that all too often we have made that more lightly than what it really should be. Because what it should be is when we ask in the name of Jesus, it should be that we're not asking for our will. We're not asking for our pleasures. We're not asking for our things. But God, we're asking what Jesus would ask us to ask of Him. We're agreeing with Him. You see, the truth is that you and I don't have access to God's ear because of how good you are. Not at all. Only Jesus is perfect. And it's because Jesus lived for us and He died for us that the Father now welcomes us to approach Him at the same confidence His only Son has enjoyed for all of eternity. You remember what happened the day that Jesus died on the cross and God showed the sorrow of His heart and the earth shook and the temple was shaken and the veil that separated man from God, the Holy of Holies, the veil was ripped from top to bottom, opening up the access to God for us. No longer was it only for the high priest once a year but now we could all access the Father through the Son. Jesus made it possible for God to hear our every prayer. The Father answers our prayers through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 and 15 and 16 capture the combined spiritual dynamic when it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with all of our weaknesses, but one who is always, uh, or one in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Who is it that pours out his mercy? Who is it that pours out his grace to help? in the hour of need when you and I pray. Jesus does. He is our sympathetic high priest. He takes us by the hand and he gives us confidence to approach the Father through prayer. Then after we pray, he turns around and pours out all that we need for our life and the goodness, including the spiritual alertness and strength we need to pray and keep praying and pray until we hear God answer. In both of those senses, access and provision, a lifestyle of persistent prayer is the will of Christ Jesus for you. As a Christian, we should be known as people of consistent and persistent prayer. Persistent prayer requires of us in Christ Jesus, and God supplies to us all that we need through Christ Jesus. So as a Christian, let your life be characterized by persistent prayer. And if that weren't hard enough, that we are to be joyful in all circumstances, 
Not only are we to be persistent in prayer because we have an attitude of joy that reminds us that God is so good to us. He goes on to tell us that we need to do a third thing. That we need to abide in gratitude. But I thought that's what being joyful is. No, they're two separate things. You see, it's easy for us to, to be joyful but yet not thankful. It's easy for us to be prayerful but yet not thankful. You see, we're to be joyful and we're to be prayerful, but we're to be thankful for what God has and has not yet done. Look at what he says in verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice Paul doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. As if we're obligated to thank God for the tragic experiences and suffering and the evil of this world. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because you will never encounter a situation or circumstance in your life as a Christian where you do not already have an abundant reason to praise the Lord for. Let me just give you a few reasons why. That we always have something to praise the Lord for. I, I, I had a, started off with a list about that long, but when I started reading it, I would have been here all afternoon. So I shortened it just to a few. God chose you. But not only did God chose you before you were born and, and had done anything good or bad, He elected you for salvation through Jesus Christ. And then God called you. When you had no power to change your own heart or change your own behavior or change your own uh, sinful condition, the same voice that spoke the universe into existence uh, spoke into your soul, enabling you to see Jesus as the Savior in which you needed, helped you to put your trust and faith in Him so that He would become your Savior. There's nothing we don't have to be thankful for. And then if that weren't enough, God justified you He forgave all of your sin and gave you the gift of His spotless righteousness. Andy, last week before you all came in here, he was practicing his music and he was singing one of those songs I just love where it says that mercy came in. You see, in the real courtroom where where it really matters, the courtroom where we will be judged before the Lord for, for ourselves and we stand there in our own nakedness and our own sinfulness, I thank God that when I know that I have no excuse for my sin, that's when mercy comes in. That's when Jesus shows up and He pleads my case and He says, Father, I have paid the price. And then not only did God choose you, called you, justified you, but God is also continuing to sanctify you. He set you apart for Himself holy as He is holy and even now working in your life to make you more like Jesus. A purifying work He will not fail to accomplish even though you might be going through some times of suffering. So what is it that we are to do? We are to say with the psalmist in Psalms 103 in verses 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Even when we're suffering, 
Yes. Why? Because your entire existence in this world as a Christian, suffering included, occurs only under the mighty downpour of the mercies of God to us through Christ Jesus. So we bless the name of the Lord with gratitude for all circumstances. We bless Him for making us more like Jesus throughout each of these circumstances. James reminds us that we are to count it all joy when we fall into different types of situations. And he goes on to talk about how those situations work in our life and that when they have their perfect work, we will come out the other end mature in Jesus, blessed, sanctified, set apart. We bless Him for the assurance of His nearness and His love in the midst of all of our circumstances. We bless Him for the fact that He Himself has changed us from what we were to what we are. And one day, He will work out all of the circumstances so that when it's all said and done, we will be freed from this world and we will receive that glorified body and that glorified place and we will never, ever suffer again. In every situation, no exceptions, you always have an abundant reason to give thanks The abiding gratitude God requires of us in Christ Jesus is supplied through Christ Jesus. A Christian should be characterized by abiding gratitude. The truth is, this old world, it's falling apart. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. They'll tell you. They preach it. Doom and gloom. You know why? Because they're without hope. They don't know what we know. They don't know who we know. And it's our job as Christians to show a difference in the world, to let them know who we know and what we know. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, reminds us of these incredible words. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and in awe. 2020 may not be our favorite year, but even in all that we have been going through, we still have many many reasons to be thankful. So this Thanksgiving, I challenge you to don't look at the negative. Look at all that God has done for you and be thankful. Let your thanksgiving turn into thanks living. And may God bless you. So I want to just say to you that are watching online, happy Thanksgiving. Have a blessed Thanksgiving, for God is a God of blessings and is worthy of our thanksgiving and our thanksgiving. So thank you for worshiping with us today. If you should need to,
contact us, please contact us. The information is there on the screen. We would love to hear from you. Call the office or email us, and we'll be glad to get back to you. We want you to know that we serve a God who is faithful, who is loving, who is kind. And we can. We can be joyful. We can be persistent in prayer, and we can be eternally grateful. Because God, through Jesus Christ, has done it through us. May the Lord richly bless you, and may you serve Him and be thankful to Him throughout the week. God bless you.